One of Bloomington Normal's up-and-coming restaurateurs says he learned about food and hospitality from his parents. I'm not here in the restaurant industry to make money. I'm here for the legacy of my family. You'll hear from pop-up chicken shop owner Aaron Francis just ahead on WGLT's Sound Ideas. Good afternoon, I'm John Norton. On today's show, you'll see the Bloomington Normal restaurant scene from a new perspective. Plus, you'll hear a preview of tomorrow's Day of Pancakes in downtown Bloomington, which helps send kids to Camp Limberlost. We have several multi-generation people who've gone to camp. By that, I mean the parents went, and every now and then even the grandparents went to camp. Those stories follow a Bloomington Normal News update, which is just ahead. This is WGLT Sound Ideas on 89.1 FM and WGLT.org, part of the NPR Network. Support for WGLT comes from Bloomington Normal Audiology. Hear My Story continues with local patient Ryan Fuller and his mother Stephanie. It was definitely worth it. It was evident from the get-go that they were so caring and compassionate and patient <laughs> with a young guy like him. <laughs> Ryan and Stephanie's full story can be found at bnaudiology.com. From the campus of Illinois State University in Normal, this is WGLT's news magazine, Sound Ideas. I'm John Norton. Bloomington Normal has a lot of restaurants, but few are as busy as Pop-Up Chicken Shop. It grew from a hidden gem inside of EFW into its popular standalone location now on Hershey Road in Bloomington. The owner is 33-year-old Aaron Francis, who recently opened his second restaurant, the Burger Joint, called Love Shack. He has around 55 employees. In this interview with WGLT's Ryan Denham, Francis says he's in the middle of a huge growth spurt, including a second pop-up chicken shop that's slated to open on Main Street near ISU on April 3rd. I would say that's my biggest challenge, which is a good challenge because I'm ready for it. I'm I'm sitting right next to a McDonald's, a Jersey Mike's, a Chipotle, Noodles, Buffalo Wild Wings. Like I'm surrounding myself by multi-billion dollar corporations and I'm ready to take them on um, because I, I truly believe my food is way better than all theirs. My customer service is way better. Um, my brand is better. And that's my goal right now is to someday have 20, 30, 40 pop-up chicken shops around Illinois. And that's my biggest challenge is growing correctly, yeah. growing the right way. Just how do we replicate this gem that we have here at Pop-Up Chicken Shop at other places? Is it possible? Yes. Can we do it? Yes. But it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Where'd you get started in restaurants? My cooking comes from my family. My family is decades, hundreds of years, just uh, cooks, hospitality. My my father, he was in hospitality before he converted to be um, a priest. Uh, my mom is the most legendary cook I've ever met, even if I'm biased of her being my mother. Um, everything, Every person she's met, just phenomenal cook. What did food mean to your, your family it's, as a kid? Honestly, as that is literally the, the biography of my life. Both of my parents were immigrants from India. Um, they moved here in like 81 and you know all I remember you know you you remember bits and pieces from your childhood and the one mainstay that will always stay true through my memories as me growing up where my parents always hosted dinner parties hospital like my mom was a registered nurse and my father was an Episcopalian priest and you know every Sunday after church 
10, 15, 20 people at my house because we lived right next to the church. My mom cooked up the most, the, just the best Indian food ever. And that was a weekly, daily experience. Um, just, I was in the kitchen with my mom since I was three years old, helping her out, you know, essentially her, her sous chef, um, peeling onions, you know, grinding up mortar and pistoling um, spices and... That's one thing my parents instilled into me is, you know, first and foremost, they always took care of other people. That's where I'm at. I literally, like, I've, I'm not here in the restaurant industry to make money. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm here for the legacy of my family. And I do it because I genuinely love seeing people eat my food and then them reacting to how good it is. Like, that is why I'm here. And I am also here to really support the restaurant industry in this town. Um, a lot of people are not getting paid correctly. And that's something I 100% strive for is every single one of my employees have a livable wage. And there is not the only people I'm really competing with when it comes to wages is multi-million dollar corporations. How do you pay a livable wage? Obviously, some other restaurants have come to a conclusion they, they can't. How do you do that? Um, well, I'm very lucky because I have a consistent customer base. First and foremost, this company, the employees and my customers are the backbone of this company. I tell my employees, I'm not the one paying your paycheck. It's the customers. The customers come in and spend in their money. And with that money, I pay you guys. Like, I... I help start it out. I'm a great coach. That's what I consider myself as a coach. There's 10 employees on my company that actually make more money than I do. I'm just here coaching. I'm not going to like say any names or anything, but like other restaurants in town have that. But I mean, to be honest, they keep the money for themselves. I'm giving out all my money to my employees. This is an employee based corporation. Without my employees, you got to keep them happy. Do you feel like it's it's paid off in terms of being able to not just keep them happy, but actually keep them on the staff? Do you, I mean, is your churn any lower than you think it would be at some other kind of place? I will say uh, my turnover rate is a 1,000% the lowest in town. What is your read on the kind of the state of the local economy at this moment based on what activity you see here? I could be a bad judgment of character on that, um, but I, I mean, people are consistently coming to my restaurant and... That's usually a good sign of a good economy. I mean, families going out to eat, spending their money. I mean, I'm not. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, the food isn't cheap. That comes with the quality of food. But at both my locations, I've actually got a lot of rift about Love Shack being too expensive. But I mean, as of right now, the economy of Bloomington Normal is thriving. Of course, we have State Farm, which is the main corporation in this town but even with rivian um they have fully supported pop-up chicken shop i mean my biggest catering order ever was through rivian but i also see how they're affecting the rest of the town so tell me about love shack how did uh, how did the idea for love shack come about and, and why was now the right time to, to pull the trigger yeah love shack was a little baby i've been trying to do for a couple years um that also correlates with trend researching it's a big hit in la that's a secret business plan of mine is like what's going on in la what well, can i replicate it here and i and i think i can love shack is um nostalgic smash burgers and smash burgers are like a big thing in this area obviously steak and shake started here there's a place in decatur called Creckles. we have green gables which you know is coming back and i can't wait for them to come back i just believe you know since i uh, i'm doing chicken here at pop-up and my end goal ultimate goal is to literally change the map of 
how we eat in Bloomington Normal. Like, it's only beginning. That's Aaron Francis, the owner of Pop-Up Chicken Shop and Love Shack in Bloomington. He spoke with WGLT's Ryan Denham. Stories and conversations around Bloomington Normal and McLean County. This is WGLT's Sound Ideas. Last month, Normal Community High School student Charlie Faulkner organized a music concert at the Coffee House. It was part of a sociology assignment called the Impact Project. Today, we'll share another example of a high school student taking their homework to the next level. Uplifting Voices is an art exhibition featuring visual art by Normal Community senior Myra Sawlett and 11 classmates. The gallery is set to launch at the Coffee House in Uptown with a public reception on March 4th. In this conversation with WGLT's Lauren Warnicke, Sawlett says the assignment was to choose a personal school or community goal. Students were also encouraged to pursue an interest they don't usually have time for. So my goal was kind of just to elevate the like student voices of NCHS through art because art is one of my biggest passions. And so I decided to do that through an art show and I didn't, I kind of wanted to have it like more community outreach instead of like school based. So I decided to have one like in the community, very interactive and accessible to everyone. What specifically draws you to art? Yeah, art has always just been like an outlet for me to process whatever I want. I can like I can really sit down in front of a canvas and I can just let my feelings go forward through art. And I typically use like paintings and it's just one of the most therapeutic ways I've found to just really let my own voice shine through and to go like process things and really just be myself. So you'll have some paintings in the show as well? Yeah, hopefully I will. Yeah. Okay, because you're also organizing it, so that's a lot to do, right? Yeah, it's a lot to juggle. <laughs> we'll see if I manage to get myself in there. And then what else uh, are some of your colleagues' contributions to the show? So I have a lot of students who are in it, and mainly they're they're focusing, uh, well, I they've been bouncing ideas off of me on what they want me to, like, what they're like, what do you want me to put forward? And I'm like, honestly, what whatever means something to you. I want like anything that's meaningful to you, anything that's like a piece of you. I really want like their voice, their light to shine through in their artwork. So a lot of people have like come to me with like the stories that they're doing. Like a girl is doing um, a picture of her of her grandma's house in India that she really misses and she loves. So I know that you're specifically concentrated on uplifting artists of color, Mm -hmm. right? And allowing uh, underrepresented artists to have a platform. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that and what reactions and feedback you've gotten from your classmates that are part of the show. Originally, I really did want this to be like um, a person of color, like artists, like really elevate those voices. But I realized there are just like so little like places for me to find people of color who like have their own artwork and like are like able to like find a space for themselves to put that put their artwork up there and out there. And I started discussing this with one of my friends. And so she she herself, she's like a black artist and she's amazing. She's great and she's had a lot of artwork her, that depicts like her experience. The artists of color that are part of the show, you know, what has it meant to them or what mm-hmm. have they told you about how they feel being a part of the show? Mm-hmm. Well, they've told me like it's really great to just like have a have a like a place to like put their outlet because they've already like had their outlet through art and now they want to share that story and it's just really great to be able to help them like share their voices because I know it's been like a hard thing with me like I want to talk about these things but I don't know where to put it so I think that's great to like 
have a place for me to do that and have help other people do that as well. What do you perceive as being the goals of the assignment in terms of what you get out of it as mm-hmm. well as what it contributes to the community? I think what I got out of it really was going outside of my comfort zones because I was really nervous about this at first. I was like, who's even going to come? What's going to happen from this? Who's going to submit their art? But as I really started to push myself and start to immerse myself in this like world of art, I've met so many amazing people. I've se- like I've heard so many stories. I've seen people who are so involved in art and they want to tell their story. And I just think that's I've really what I've really gotten out of that is like just learning that there are so many stories out there and there are so many people out there and there are so many things you can do in the world if you just want to. This is Sound Ideas. I'm Lauren Mornicky. After speaking with Solid, I caught up with local artist Lisa Lofgren, who volunteered to be Solid's mentor on the project. Lofgren is an independent printmaker who has organized gallery exhibitions and public events. She is also the registrar and office coordinator at University Galleries. Lofgren says working with Solid was easy. Partially because from day one, she was already organized already had a mission, was driven, very clearly driven, to accomplish this task that she set forth in her class, in Stephen Robinson's class. And so I felt like uh, I would be able to contribute, but I knew that she, she was already going to accomplish this. So it was nice to be able to support her in that, but she came to me with um, all these outlined points already in place. Yeah, I mean, something that Stefan said was that the class is already over. It's happened. It's done. There wasn't really a need to actually manifest this plan into an event. So what was your experience working with her and like, She's still going for it, you know? Yeah. Yes. Well, I feel like there's always these few people that come along and they really hold true to this kind of accountability, whether it's a teacher that's incentivizing it or other students that are all kind of helping support an effort. And and it becomes something beyond a class project. So hearing, like you said, that it's already been complete. Essentially, the task is is done at one aspect, but you've already done all the work. Now just see it through. How do you make something that you've already planned for in so many ways come to life? I never felt like I had to be the one to take the step forward or do the next step on her behalf. She always had the... um, not not only the aptitude, but the assertiveness and the and the confidence to just say, I'll follow up on that. Wow, this project gives a lot to these young artists. What are they giving to us, the viewing public yes. and the arts ecosystem in the community? Yes. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, you said it perfectly right there. I don't have a, an answer <laughs> for that entirely, <laughs> but they're giving to us... Uh, s- uh, ways to access, um, to to cross bridges between uh, age gaps, between you know, socio- all these sociological factors of of race, gender, st- you know, status of what do you want to, whatever you want to call it, um, uh, economics. All I'm getting 
tongue tied a little <laughs> bit talking about it. But uh, thinking about uh, the that these are attached to young folks, but these are folks that are coming up in the world in great ways. Uplifting Voices takes place from 4 to 6 p.m. on March 4th at the Coffee House in Uptown Normal. The event is free and open to the public. That was WGLT's Lauren Warnicke with Lisa Lofgren and Myra Sollett. In addition to the art gallery, Normal Community High School's South Asian Performing Arts Club will have a Mendy table at the event, and the school's experimental ensemble will also be there to play music. Support for arts and culture programming on WGLT comes from PNC Financial Services. We're focusing on giving back as part of an ongoing commitment to the community PNC serves. Thanks for listening to WGLT 89.1 FM, WGLT.org, part of the NPR network. This is Sound Ideas. If you've driven around town lately, you've probably noticed yard signs advertising pancake days. The longstanding Twin Cities tradition of feeding flapjacks to thousands is back for the first time since 2020. Let's bring WGLT's Lauren Warnicke back with more. In 2012, John Kirk documented the history of pancake days. Kirk, a former Illinois State University theater professor and pancake visionary, helped usher in a new age for the Bloomington Kiwanis Pancake Days. The 2023 Day of Pancakes takes place this Saturday at the Bloomington Center for the Performing Arts. And yes, sadly, it is a single day of buttermilk banquet this year. Since 1951, Kiwanis has held a weekend of all-you-can-eat pancake feasting, the proceeds of which send kids to summer camp. The all-you-can-eat part is made easier by custom-made pancake machines, suggested by Kirk. Fellow Kiwanian Earl Ewald, an engineer for the Eureka Company, improved on the rental machines Kiwanis was using in the 60s. In Kirk's words, it was two key Kiwanians, Bill Mira and Harold Walters, that would have to go for the project. They were, quote, the grand old men of the club in those years. This memoir, I mean historical archive, continues. After I finished my presentation, Kirk writes, there was an awkward silence for several seconds. And then Bill Mira boomed out, that's the best damn proposal I've ever seen. After that, it was smooth sailing and the project went forward. And the rest, as they say, is history with five amazing custom-built pancake-churning griddles in tow. Past Kiwanis President Mark Wiley has been a Kiwanis member for about two decades. We're hoping to have over 900 people attend this year. In the past, we would have closer to 1,800 to 2,000. So we just divided that by two and hope that we get people out. I see people's lawn signs announcing Pancake Day, and it just seems like an amazing way for people to come together. But also, you're raising money for a really good cause. So tell us about that a little bit. Our main thing that we use our money for is for Camp Limberloss. We do support some other boys and girls initiatives, not necessarily the Boys and Girls Club, but other initiatives for people who've gone to camp, for example. But our goal is always to send um, somewhere between 60 and 100 kids to camp without them having to pay anything. Numerous studies have shown the psychological and physiological benefits kids get from sleepaway camp, including a boost to self-confidence, independence, and psychosocial skills. 
Numerous studies also show that camps are overwhelmingly white. According to a 2020 report by KOA, North America's largest system of campground franchises, 63% of campers were white. The pandemic made a positive impact on diversity, however, in the outdoors. KOA also states that 60% of first-time campers in 2020 were non-white. Wiley says Camp Limberloss defies the statistics. Nationwide, about 4% of the kids, third to fifth grader, who go to camp are non-white. At this camp, our Camp Limberloss, the statistic is about 46% black and 66% non-white. The students have come from both uh, District 87 and Unit 5, and every now and then from maybe some of the other areas in McLean County, but mainly from the two big districts. And they're chosen by their teachers of kids who need this. So a lot of these kids would not ever get another chance to go to camp. I want to know from your perspective why it is important that they go to camp. What do they get out of it? Well, any kid that goes to camp gets a lot out of it, hopefully. Um, We have several multi-generation people who've gone to camp. By that, I mean the parents went, and every now and then even the grandparents went to camp. And they speak so highly that it was a great experience. There's swimming. There's a famous, not famous, but we consider it famous, a boat ride that's helped put on by the residents at Lake Bloomington that on one of the nights they gather pontoon boats and take these kids out on a boat ride. Um, ISU in the past has helped out and sent like some of their football players and some of their interns. So they see they see older students, adults, who are, can be role models as well. And the pancakes don't hurt, right? So <laughs> what else, you know, what else about the day should people know besides coming to the BCPA, having a nice breakfast, community gathering? What else is on top well, for the day? Well, probably should tell you the time. Okay. It's 730 to 1230 this coming Saturday. The cost of the event is $8 in advance. You can get tickets via the website or if you know a Kiwanis member, if they can sell you a ticket. If you don't know if you're going to, going to go or not, you can come the day of the event and the pr- price is $10. That 8 or $10 ticket gets you sausage, milk, juice, coffee, and as many pancakes as you want. More sausage, however, is going to cost you extra. That was Mark Wiley speaking with WGLT's Lauren Warnicky. Tickets for the Day of Pancakes available at BloomingtonKiwanis.org. If you're under 12, you get in for free. And that's Sound Ideas Today, WGLT's news magazine made possible in part by Bloomington Normal Audiology. I'm John Norton. Story help today twice came from Lauren Warnicky and also from WGLT's Ryan Denham. The show was produced by Samantha Hill. This is 89.1 FM, WGLT and WGLT.org, Bloomington Normal's public media, part of the NPR Network.